Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great podcast. ESPN and Anscape contributor Dominique Foxworth has a new podcast every Tuesday and Thursday, bringing his unique perspective on football, the personality surrounding it, and just about anything else he finds interesting or thinks you might. So check out the Dominique Foxworth Show. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, we're going to run through week four of the NFL. We also going to help all y'all. How come ain't nobody talking about Brett Favre, people out? We're going to talk about Brett Favre, but first... All right, man. How about them Cowboys, right? You kind of got to start there. Uh, one interesting thing that often comes up in doing this job is people start raising the question about why y'all always talk about the Cowboys when they ain't really good. And the answer very simply is they are the Cowboys. This is how this works. If I turn this podcast into a Dallas Cowboys only podcast, if I'm going to be honest with you, we would probably get more listeners. I'm just telling you, man. Cowboys are one of the few things, not that everybody can agree on, but that everybody is willing to listen to us talk about. Everybody complains about why y'all be talking about the Cowboys. Y'all don't be turning nothing off. I know this. We got the numbers, right? But the Cowboys have actually turned into something that I think is legitimately interesting now that Dak Prescott is hurt and some dude named Cooper Rush done come out here and made himself literally millions of dollars since last year and including the games that he has played this year. Now, Gabe, correct me if I'm wrong. Are they now 3-0 and with Cooper Rush at quarterback? That's right. Yo, now, I mean, let's be fair. I saw them play some of the game on Sunday, and Cooper Rush played pretty well, but they were also playing against what appears to be, shockingly, the worst quarterback on earth in Carson Wentz. I don't know what exactly happened. I don't, I don't have a full math on that, but that boy stinks stinks i tell you stinks and if you want to know like for real like what kind of stink we are talking about with him i'm gonna be honest with you i have already oh matt ryan i was about to say i've already forgotten who plays quarterback for the colts and no matter how bad it gets for the Colts this year it could have got worse still could have been out here with carson wentz right it could have been that but anyway a couple things i find to be interesting when it comes to cooper rush right one of them is he's not bad Right? Like, I don't want to masquerade as though he's like the greatest quarterback I've ever seen or anything like that. But I feel pretty confident saying he's not bad. Like, he looks like a starting NFL quarterback and has played again, not like a great NFL quarterback, but he's played like a starter. Right? Like, he's looked like a guy that you could have in there at least for a few games and win, which is best case scenario for your backup quarterback. Right? So, like, all props to him for at the very least doing his job. The other thing that is interesting is he's doing this for the messiest owner in sports. And that's what Jerry Jones is. He messy, right? He like a little drama surrounding whatever in the world is going on with his team and all of this other stuff. And y'all know it's messy. Like when he's out here talking about he would like for there to be a quarterback controversy. That's messy, right? 
All that man got to do is get out here and say, we would like to win lots of games with Cooper Rush, and I know what that might create, but then he'll hand the reins over to Dak. But that ain't the way that Jerry wants to say it. Jerry out here wanting a quarterback controversy because Jerry don't think long game like other people do. I have discussed this phenomenon before. It is very interesting because I could understand how some people would consider this phenomenon to be controversial, but people don't even when I say it, and you know how they be acting when I talk. But I talk about this with Baltimore and the guys that are behind Lamar Jackson. And I first saw this with the Jacksonville Jaguars about 15 years ago. And I need you guys to understand that the person who planted this seed for me was of all people, Whitlock, okay? Just to give you the perspective in case some of y'all are acting like I'm out here being too woke, right? This is the guy who pointed it out to me, and it's a thing, that when they had Byron Leftwich out there, they ain't even have one black backup quarterback. They had two black backup quarterbacks because they were like, otherwise, Jacksonville going to live standing on the table trying to get the backup in, so you got to get you another one back there, and therefore, they might calm their asses down just a little bit, Right? There's something to it. And if you don't believe there's something to it, I need y'all to talk to anybody who has lived between Spartanburg, North Carolina, and going all the way really up to Raleigh, maybe a little farther east. Because if you were there for the Cameron Newton era, you knew that there was a real thing called the Derek Anderson Hive. They was out here. And at every turn, they were ready for it. When will Derek Anderson get his chance and you get to see he just as good as Cam? That's what it was. This is even after the MVP. I'm telling you, this is how this goes. But see, Jerry, Jerry don't Jerry don't think like that. Jerry just think like mess. You feel me? And so Jerry's out here, yeah, quarterback controversy, Cooper Rush. And so I get ready to come record this, and we go on and get up. And God bless Rex Ryan and Dan Orlovsky. They ain't trying to hear this nonsense. They're like, yo, you got to be kidding me. Come on now. But Jerry keeps trying to make a quarterback controversy, and quarterback controversy is great in our business. And, 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 and this is a big one. This is really part of why I came out here to talk about it. It's not to entertain the possibility of a quarterback controversy, because quite honestly, Dak Prescott make too much money for any of this nonsense to actually go, right? I came to point out the fact we ain't really had a good quarterback controversy in a while when you start and think about it. Like a legitimate, we don't know which one of these quarterbacks we are going to play. You, you, it felt like back when I was a kid, you could get you a quarterback controversy one or two a year around the league. Like you never knew how it might go. They bring in a backup quarterback that might be able to push it or there's some rookie or whatever, but you you might have two quarterbacks where you legitimately were like, huh, I don't know which way we should go with this. Like, I feel like the last legitimate quarterback controversy that I can pull off the top of my head was Robert Griffin and Kirk Cousins. Except even that one was barely a controversy. Right. And I say it was barely a controversy because they were going to ride the Robert Griffin thing until the wheels fell off for a number of reasons, which I thought was the right play. And then like once it was a controversy, it was a controversy for like a week and a half. And then they went and made the move. And then, you know, there was no turning back, at least on that matter. 
But it doesn't work that way. But to me, what's strange is that the reason why you don't really get quarterback controversies in the way that we used to get quarterback controversies is ain't really no good backup quarterbacks no more. Like even the ones that you've heard of, like even the ones that you thought were good, nobody really has like a good backup quarterback. So I mean it in this way. And this is why Cooper Rush is so interesting to me. And if I'm the Cowboys, I'd probably spend some money to try to keep him if I possibly could. The Buffalo Bills, when Jim Kelly, you know, they were going to all the Super Bowls and everything else. Their backup quarterback was Frank Reich, for you youngsters who now see that Frank Reich is the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Frank Reich was legitimately famous. And the reason that Frank Reich was legitimately famous is he was Buffalo's backup quarterback and Jim Kelly was good for getting hurt. But they had a quarterback who was good enough that when it was an expansion draft, as I recall, he was the number one pick in the expansion draft for the Carolina Panthers, right? Like he was a guy that people looked at him and were like, yo, he could be our starting quarterback, but they kept him. Now, I think part of why you wound up keeping a guy in that day and age more so than you would now is you could hit quarterbacks a lot harder back then. Like the possibility that Jim Kelly was going to have to miss four to six weeks, it meant something different. But when the infamous 35 to three comeback against the Oilers, the quarterback was Frank Reich. It was not Jim Kelly. And by the way, nobody saw Frank Reich make that 35-3 comeback and was thinking to themselves, man, I wonder if we got a quarterback controversy here with him and Jim Kelly. No, 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 no. They just had a backup quarterback, and the backup quarterback was good. And then when Jim Kelly came back, they went back to Jim Kelly. But how is it? And I mean, I'm really asking this more hypothetically than anything else. How is it that we got more attention to quarterback play than ever? Quarterbacks spend more time working on throwing in their lives than they ever had before. But we have fewer backup quarterbacks that can simply hold their water. Like, think about Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, you know what Jimmy Garoppolo has looked like these last couple weeks? A backup quarterback. Got out there, had the first game, could win you a little something, and then was back out there looking like Jimmy Garoppolo. But hey, man, that's a backup quarterback. He is probably an example of like an upper echelon backup quarterback at this point. But there really aren't that many of them, right? And if you don't even want to go that far back, I know it like makes me feel old to think about this now. This is still going back a little bit. Andy Reid was so well known for what he could get out of backup quarterbacks, like the A.J. Feely's of the world. I feel like there's another one whose name I just can't remember right now. But these dudes would be behind Donovan McNabb, and Donovan McNabb would go on his annual injury sabbatical, and then A.J. Feely would come in, they go 4-0, and maybe they go 4-1, and and then Donovan comes back or whatever it is. But by and large, we look at a team, and you go to the backup quarterback, and we think you're going to lose every game, right? Even when you go to the guys, like Jacoby Brissett, for example, he's a guy that's going to live the rest of his life as an upper echelon backup quarterback. I don't know how many games you can actually win with Jacoby Brissett as your quarterback. Like, you almost felt like, and I don't know if this is correct or right necessarily, but it would be cash you could come in with and be like, yo, we had him, we could win seven, you know, in the 16-game area. You might be able to win seven. You might be able to win eight or something like that. That's not what it is right now. And so when you get a guy like Rush, who I still think looks like a backup quarterback, like a guy that could start some games for you, but I don't know if we're looking at an actual starting quarterback it really feels like the rarest thing in the world. Even a dude like Teddy Bridgewater, who we've seen be like a capable starter. The end of the game comes, and you're not surprised when Teddy throws that pick. 
Now, the pick that uh, he threw at the end of the game on Thursday seemed to be a miscommunication, but still, you're not surprised when it falls apart with Teddy. And it's wild because if you told me that Teddy was your starter, I wouldn't think that's the worst thing in the world. So how is it that we put so much more into quarterbacks and quarterbacks seem to give us so much less, right? Maybe it's a salary cap situation. I think part of it probably is, hey, man, them old school football coaches weren't stupid. They understood you could probably get more from passing the ball than running the ball. It's just really hard to find somebody who can actually do it. Like, I have long considered that there's a serious market inefficiency in the way that NFL football is played. Because if you can't find 32 good quarterbacks, there's a structural flaw in the way the game is played. It shouldn't be that hard to find somebody that can play quarterback. It just shouldn't, right? Maybe the game ain't supposed to be played the way that it is played. Like, it increases the ceiling of what you could do. But a lot of these cats, man, have y'all considered running the ball? The bone might not be the worst idea. Get your veer on. You know what I mean? Like, it might be something that you want to give some thought to. Because it just ain't with so many people that can capably throw the ball and get somewhere where you can actually win. I mean, I'm really throwing this out here as just intellectual exercise. And again, I'm doing it as intellectual exercise. Because if you think they about to bench Dak Prescott for Cooper Rush, you are out of your mind. Now, don't get me wrong. I felt very similarly about Tony Romo being benched for Dak Prescott, but that went on for so long that they wound up in a place where they realized, okay, we got to stick around with this dude. I would have gone back to Tony Romo that year. I think they could have won a Super Bowl if they had gone back to Tony Romo that year because I don't think Dak was ready, right? Me and Dominique Fosworth were the only two people over there on Romo Island who would believe in that. And the reason that we was on that island and y'all wasn't is y'all were out here gotta stick with the hot hand because honestly, you guys have been encouraged to say stupid things. And that happened to be one of them. Gotta ride the hot hand. Come on, dog, get out of here. Right, like, but for Dak, Dak coming back off of that busted hand, brother, I am telling you this right now. Do not come back until you are 100%. Unless you just want to hear all the time about this damn Cooper Rush. I'm just telling you, and then Jerry ain't going to make it no better once you hear about this Cooper Rush. Because all Jerry know how to do is be messy. It's in his bones. It's in his soul. It's all he know how to do. That's it. That's the only thing. So yeah, there we go. Right? It wasn't really about the Cowboys. I took you on an intellectual journey. Right? 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 There we go. There we go. There we go. But Dak, for real though, don't, 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 don't come back to you play because you're going to make my life and you're going to make my job harder. And there's nothing worse than when I got to come get on whatever platforms I'm on and just they make me entertain the nonsense from these streets. Don't make me have to do that. I had to go through Tebow mania in 2011. And honestly, if I had had a good enough job, I would have thought about quitting it. But I needed to get a better job. So I just kept talking about that madness. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. 
your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, man. Uh, interesting uh, run around the NFL uh, this Sunday. Um, Gabe, I feel like, uh, you know, me and Dominique have been talking about this Brady watch. You know what I mean? Like when exactly is it that we can get around to talking about the fact that maybe just maybe the greatest looks like a bum these days. And I mean, maybe a bum is a little bit of a stretch. He do look like he got a lot on his mind for whatever that's worth. It's almost like he got a lot on his mind. Um, he did not look bad in this game against Kansas city, he put up like 385 yards and three touchdowns. Right. But he still didn't look like like Tom Brady. It didn't feel like I was watching excellence. I also don't think that it's a good idea, no matter what the circumstances are, to have your quarterback out there like that and you only run the ball six times. Like, I don't... That That is something that is just wild to me is, like, teams' willingness to do something like that. Um, I mean, the B- Buffalo's got this problem with Josh Allen all the time where they're just like, all right, we got Josh Allen, but Josh Allen gonna come out here and do everything, Right. The Panthers never even did that with Cam Newton. Like, they're really, really treating Josh Allen like he's the like a high school quarterback. It's very similar to what you got with the Ravens, where they're really playing this like a high school situation. We got the best athlete on the field. We just going to have the ball in his hands at all times. You can't play with Tom Brady like that. At least I don't think. And so, look, they got some of those receivers back. They still got the offensive line issues. But, man, Tom Brady got to be looking around every day like, why did I do this? Like, why, why why, exactly am I here? He appears to be the walking definition of the guy that, like, hit for 10 Gs at one of the tables and just couldn't get himself to leave, right? And I know why he couldn't get himself to leave. When I'm at the tables and I'm rolling and when I'm losing, I say the same thing. I did not come here to make money. I came to play cards, right? Like, it's great to get the money, but the fun is playing cards, right? So, you know, you make some decisions. I'm going to take a, you know, take this portion of it and put it over here and still give myself some more. But, like, you mess around and hit for 10 Gs early and walk away. Now you don't get to play no cards if that was your plan for what the whole day was. The difference with this is Tom Brady absolutely came to play cards, but he plays cards to win money. You know, like, that's what he does. And in this case, winning money is winning the championship. But that's why Tom Brady shows up. That's what he's in this for. I don't know if it's going to be that this year and if it's not that it's going to have a lot to do with him not entirely about him but it's going to have a lot to do with him we were talking on the last episode with dominique about him eating them uh, tv dinners at the crib and yo i just came up with a whole new thing we talking about them tb12 tv dinners no tb dinners gabe they need to have a whole line of tb dinners they put them things in stores them things gonna sell out right so he had the crib eating his gluten-free, free free everything, TB dinners, all of this, right? 
He's done a very good job of, I feel like, managing the world around this whole situation because we don't really talk about it that much because we don't feel right about it. But nah, dog, here's my thing about that. Once you sell the brand old family, we, we here now. I ain't asked to come in your house. You open the door. I ain't leaving till I'm good and damn ready. You might have to call the sheriff to get me out, right? You let me set up a room in here. And I know you might have to call the sheriff. One of my good homies who may be listening to this right now had to call the sheriff to get his wife's brother out of his house because they let his ass in in the first place. That's the whole game on all of these. Like we were nice about it with uh, Steph Curry's parents. But hey, man, y'all sold us this. Now you now you want me to respect your privacy? What? Uh-uh. 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 That was juicy, too. Right? And I was like, all right, man. Well, I guess we're not going to talk about it. I want to talk about that so damn bad. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. But anyway, Chiefs won. Patrick Mahomes out there doing Patrick Mahomes things. Gabe, did you see when he did that old video game thing where he came around to right and it looked like he was going to run in for the touchdown, then he hit the brakes and just flipped it up there to uh, Clyde Edwards Elaire. By the way, the number one can't go back all-star in the NFL. The number one, you don't want it with him in the NFL guy. And you don't know, if you don't know why, I suggest you go check out his wiki page. Dude, they made one of those. <laughs> like, Mahomes. Every time we get ourselves so hyped up about one of these other dudes, right? Even if it's an older dude like Aaron Rodgers. It feels like you just get out there and you watch Mahomes and that against maybe the best defense in the NFL. And you're like, dog, why are we talking about anybody else? Right. I've talked to you guys about this before. I understand the giant push behind Josh Allen, who is a menace, just to be clear. Me and Dominique, we'd be sitting there texting on Sundays, and I'd be like, oh, menace mode has begun because Josh Allen has decided to go on some menace sort of setup where it's just like, okay, I'm going to be the one to get this done. But it had been so long since this league produced a white quarterback worth a damn, like a really, really good white quarterback, that once they saw this one, I mean, catch the great Josh Allen, like before he even won a playoff game, right? Like, I get it. There's a level of excitement about having this dude. That dude is not Mahomes. And that's not a shot to him because there's one of those. Justin Herbert looks incredible. He's not Mahomes. You go throw out any other name or any other of these quarterbacks, and it's like, sorry, guys. He's just not him. And you're going to really notice what it means to be him this year without Tyreek Hill. Because you're going to have to figure out something. There is no super terrifying weapon that is around him in a way that there had been previously, right? Well, that's what I thought when I was just watching. I was just like, oh, okay. He's that dude. Uh, speaking of the menace, it was an interesting game in Baltimore with the Bills and the Ravens. Where the weather was enough to interfere with those guys' numbers but not enough to where I'm looking at it and being like, oh, well, you can't really draw any conclusions about the way those guys played. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to look at the box score, and the box score wasn't going to be really impressive. And early, Lamar looked excellent, and Josh Allen looked average. And then it kind of turned for the second half. But this is the second time the Ravens had one of those big leads and then just couldn't score no points off of it. And at some point, the Ravens are going to have to get a new offensive coordinator. And if you didn't think they needed to get a new offensive coordinator, they went for that fourth down with two minutes left at the four-yard line. I was 100% on board with them going forward on fourth down. I could not believe the play that they called. That just simply had no run option whatsoever. So you have shrunk the field and put Lamar Jackson in a straight drop-back situation. 
And there was a guy, and he couldn't get it to him because there's a little bit too much going on in the backfield. Like, yeah, the dude opened in the corner. He just couldn't get it to him. But that wasn't really about Lamar. That was about the play call. And then uh, Buffalo went and marched all the way back down. Because the Ravens don't really have a defense that feels like a Ravens defense. You know, it just doesn't seem to be that sort of thing that they got there. But boy, 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 boy. Cadillac Lamar going to hear about that one. You can't be out here catching the L to Josh Allen. Not in this time. Not when everybody makes such a direct comparison. And which of them is a better player? You can talk me into either one, to be honest. I think that Allen is prototypically better, right? He's so much bigger. He's so much stronger. He's not as fast. He's not quite as dynamic. But you can't drag his big ass down for nothing, man. You be seeing them dudes trying to wrap their arms around his waist. They look like children trying to stop their daddy from going to work. You know, like, like, oh, man, like, that's got to be humbling for them actual real live NFL players, right? That's got to be like crazy humbling. But Buffalo's made the decision that Baltimore's made. Hey, man, we're going to jump on this dude's back and we're going to go as far as we can. And I just don't think that's the way to play winning football. It's just too much to ask out of any one person, right? That's me. That's where I'm coming from on that one. Shout out to you, Philadelphia Eagles. Four and oh, I believe it is. Jalen Hurts looking like a real live NFL quarterback, which is nothing that I ever bet on, which was nothing that I ever believed. Nothing I was ever sure was going to happen. And I've told you before, before Jalen Hurts got to the NFL, I saw him play for two professional teams that were held up by his passing. One of them being the franchise in Tuscaloosa, the other one being the franchise in Norman, Oklahoma. And I was like, if your passing holds up those teams, given that I just saw a team win a national championship with Stetson Bennett the fourth, then no, I did not see an NFL quarterback. I also did not see an NFL coach with that dude that had that awful press conference when he got the job with the Eagles. They doing it, man, right? Part of it is because they got bodies, right? They got personnel. I will have a measure of skepticism with Hurts until it gets to, I guess, a certain point. However, I'm not going to be sitting here rooting for him to fail so that I can be right. There's a couple reasons for that. First of all, H. Time, you know what I'm saying? He from, he from the crib, right? Right? He there. He there. He from the crib. I don't, root, I don't really root against the crib. That's just not something uh, that I'm about. But number two, good for him. Because I think one thing that we can forget very often when it comes to people, man, they got time to get better. Right? Like there's a run and there's room for you to improve. And we feel like if you're not ready the second that you get to the league, then what are you going to do? And the, and the NFL is different than, say, the NBA or the NBA in the sense that there is no G League. Right? Like if you're a quarterback, there is no room for you to just get like 10 minutes a game for a year and change or whatever and then grow into whatever the role is. Like I think about guys like Quinn Cook, Seth Curry. Um, I didn't mean to pick two dude guys on purpose, you know, or even like a Chris Middleton, for example. These dudes that come into the league as G League players and then they improve and get to the point where in the case of the first two guys, they're like, you know, can be contributors on your team or Chris Middleton, where you can be a multi-year all-star, right? Just because you have the time to get better. It's very difficult to do that in the NFL. So like good for Hurts if he can pull this off. And I mean, the Eagles deserve a quarterback they like. I'm 40 years old, 42, actually. How many quarterbacks have the Eagles had that the people liked? I feel like for them to like you, all you had to do was win a Super Bowl. They didn't dislike Michael Vick, which was kind of ironic. Um, but, you know, they didn't seem to dislike him. Donovan McNabb, that was a little weird, you know. I don't really know how they felt about Randall Cunningham, to be honest. Like, if they actually liked him or not. I feel like Randall Cunningham was a very difficult person to dislike. 
I could be wrong, though. Philly has a way of finding those things. But no, good for, if they can get you a, like a nice underdog type of quarterback that somebody can feel good about, do it, dog. You got it. You got it. So, yeah, good for them. I'm trying to think anybody else in the NFL uh, did anything that was halfway interesting. Oh, because we didn't talk about it before because it was last week, I had actually cut some slack to the Dolphins when it comes to Tua. And in fact, I am going to still cut some slack to the Dolphins on Tua because the independent, neurological, whatever you call it, the first word is independent, right? Now, if you've seen the story about the head injury that Tua suffered in the game against Buffalo, the independent, who you call it, got fired because apparently he made several mistakes along the way, right? That guy is really supposed to be the one that makes the call. And if that guy says he can play, then it's hard for me to knock the Dolphins but so much for making their call to let Tua play. And it just obviously turns into a disaster because Tua is like the new Colt McCoy, the new Robert Griffin. These guys where every hit they take, they look like the Coyote in the Roadrunner cartoons. Like every hit they take looks like it came straight out of a cartoon. And of course, having recently suffered a head injury makes it worse if you suffer another one whether it's on short notice and, you know, short time frame or not. Like, that part is the all bad. But the way this system has to work is, honestly, what the team thinks can't even be nothing. The independent guy needs to be the one that makes the call because the team is far too compromised. The independent guy's got to be the one that makes the call. He made the call. The question that we're going to have to ask here and why this one investigation into this one doesn't matter is, how often does the independent, what you would call it, err on the side of send the guy back in there, right? How reflective is this of other situations? Because I have felt like they've done a pretty good job of being like, no, this guy's not going to play. And this guy's not going to play next week. We don't really have, like, part of why the Tua situation jumped off the screen was that we don't see that very much, Right? Like, can you think of the last time that you saw a dude that you were sure got his bell rung like that and they sent him back out there? That doesn't really happen. And that was also why I was inclined to cut them a measure of slack about the way that it went. But the fact that they had to fire that dude makes me ask far more systemic questions than it does anything just about this one. And the Dolphins are about, oh, man, two is fine. He wants to get back there and play. Yeah, okay. Uh, why don't you, like, just chill out? Last thing. Just had a thought. Could be wrong. When Tua got hurt on Thursday... And they had him, you know, they took the face mask off. They had him on the cart and they rolled him out. And the fans were like, Tua, Tua. I don't know how Tua feels. I'm just talking about me right now. I would have appreciated it if y'all would have just kept it down. I just got a concussion. Could y'all like be quiet and turn the lights off, please? Could somebody give me like a sleep mask? I just really want to go to the back and chill out. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. All right, Bo, this first story comes from tech. I'm Rachel Treisman, a reporter for NPR. This story's for anyone who's ever written or read a tweet that could have been better. Twitter's different from many social media platforms because it doesn't let users edit posts after they're published, to the dismay of people everywhere who are prone to typos. The company acknowledges that an edit button is its most requested feature, but Jack Dorsey, its longtime former CEO, had said for years that it wouldn't happen under his tenure, which ended last winter. So many people were pleasantly surprised at the start of September when Twitter announced it was testing out the feature internally. It plans to try it out first with a small group of users, then subscribers of its Twitter Blue service, and gradually expand from there. But not everyone is excited about this. Skeptics say the power to retroactively edit tweets could be exploited, especially on a platform that's already dealing with safety and misinformation issues. 
They worry it could lead to manipulation or the loss of information that's just important to have on the public record. Tech experts say that some of these issues could theoretically be solved depending on how Twitter designs the feature. So for example, how many times a tweet can be edited and whether those changes will be clearly labeled. Here's how Twitter says it will work. Users will be able to edit a tweet several times within the 30 minutes after it publishes. Those tweets will then be marked with a pen icon, timestamp, and label, which viewers can click on to see their full edit history. Twitter says it hopes this approach will, quote, protect the integrity of the conversation and create a publicly accessible record of what was said. And it plans to keep close tabs on how its early test subjects are using and potentially misusing their newfound power. Serious question. Are y'all really tripping that hard on damn typos? Like that's always, whenever the area comes up and like I need to make the edit on it, take the whole damn thing down and do it over if it's that important. Like case in point, I sent a tweet this weekend that was like, ah, so A&M's paying all that money to Jimbo Fisher for eight wins again, except the autocorrect turned eight to right. And I was like, wait, I thought this was a pretty good tweet. Why is nobody uh, saying anything back? And then I look up and it's because it said right instead of eight. I just took it down. That's it. I didn't put it back up. I was like, oh, the moment's passed, whatever it happens to be. But are you guys so anal retentive that these typos really drive you that crazy? Sometimes it happens. It really, to me, fundamentally gets back to Twitter was never supposed to be so important that you couldn't live with your typos. To me, it was never supposed to be that important. The things that were said were never supposed to be that impactful. That where a typo would mean that we had to shut this whole damn thing down. But as I look at it, and there's anything that I get to say about it is, man, we have really messed up. If all this stuff is this damn important, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. And those people are right. The ability to go back and edit those things and make a little small changes, be like, oh, that's not what I said. I meant this or whatever. That's going to come up. And yeah, somebody's going to be out there with the screenshot, but how you trust the screenshot? All right, Bo, this next story comes from business and health, I guess. My name is Daniel Victor. I'm a reporter at the New York Times, and I'm sorry to tell you that I'm here to talk about NyQuil chicken. Nothing about this makes any sense. It's an absolutely ridiculous concept, but stay with me here. So back in 2017, someone posted about cooking what he called sleepy time chicken with these horrible pictures of chicken cooking in this ugly blue-green vat of NyQuil. He probably didn't actually eat it. It was probably just a joke, but I found two other people who posted about making this joke recipe in the next few years. So these same three photos and videos pop up again every now and then on the internet. And it happened again a few weeks ago with people posting these same three photos and videos on TikTok and Twitter. But the FDA steps in and didn't seem to understand that it was just people reposting these old videos. So they put out this stark warning that people were currently participating in a dangerous social media challenge. And to be clear, it really is very dangerous. You absolutely, absolutely should not do it. It's a very bad idea. The problem here is that there was no sign that anyone actually was doing it. But the FDA helped create this impression that teens everywhere were cooking this dangerous dish while their parents were sleeping. So this FDA warning gets picked up by TV stations, local news, national news, everyone repeating that this dangerous challenge was afoot. Most of them repeated this assertion that this trend was actually happening, with just really a pretty small amount of articles noting that there really was no evidence it was a real thing. So basically, in effect, the FDA elevated this relatively minor joke on social media into a full-blown panic. Most of us would have probably never heard of NyQuil chicken if not for this flood of media coverage, but here we are. Now we're all thinking about it. Yeah, look here, man. I ain't blaming the government on this one. They're like, oh, it was only a couple of people, and now they turned it into a thing. What about the last however many years leads you to believe that these people can be trusted? 
That's all I'm asking you. Like, what about the last however many years has put you in a position where you could just say to yourself, oh, no, nobody would ever do that. Yes, they would. They will. And they going to do it. And every I mean, look, the fact that people use NyQuil to get high, that should frighten you enough. I'm just telling you right now. If people are willing to take NyQuil recreationally, they are willing to soak their chicken in NyQuil. It's somebody, and if this saved even one life, even one, I am okay with it, and I believe that a good job has been done. Sorry, I am not going to knock anybody that's out here trying to do a good thing for the people. They, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Like, oh, nobody, the silly government believing internet fed. Look around. All right, this last one comes from politics. I'm Anna Wolf, reporter with Mississippi Today, and I've been covering the story about how Brett Favre influenced Mississippi welfare officials to divert $8 million in federal funds to his pet projects, a volleyball stadium at Southern Miss, and a pharmaceutical company that he was investing in. The story is a lot bigger than Favre, though. Auditors found that officials misspent nearly $100 million in funds that are meant to serve the state's neediest residents. And this happened because under conservative policies in the state that prioritize personal responsibility over true safety net supports, there was an apprehension to actually give money to people in poverty. And the welfare department's idea about what helps people in poverty had just become more and more distorted over time. The state even paid millions to former WWE wrestler Ted DiBiase and his sons to run programs to serve inner city youth, but little evidence of the services exist. Most recently, the former welfare director, one of the people that Favre talked to about his projects, pleaded guilty to federal charges related to the wrestlers. Within an ongoing civil suit against Favre and others, attorneys have subpoenaed the former governor for his communication with Favre about the volleyball stadium. Bryant is fighting this subpoena, but as a result of the court battle, new text messages have been revealed that show Favre skirting around the spending regulations, even suggesting that the welfare organization hire him to record ads for the program as a way to get money to the volleyball project. At one point, he even asked the nonprofit official if the media could find out how much the organization was paying him and where the money came from. The text also show that Favre sent the construction paperwork to the governor, as well as Bryant instructing Favre on how to rewrite a funding proposal so that it could get approved by the welfare department. To get the money, they said that they would use the volleyball facility to hold programming for low-income Mississippians, but that hasn't happened. Mississippi has the highest poverty rate in the nation, and this story gives some indication as to why. There's still a lot that we don't know about the timeline, and the court will decide in coming months if the governor has to comply with that subpoena. But meanwhile, federal investigators are continuing their probe, and state officials have indicated that they're moving, quote, higher up the ladder, which indicates that they have their sights set on higher level officials within the scheme. Okay, so there's a couple of things to this for me. One, I have heard the why aren't people talking about Brett Favre more. Now, 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 to be fair, Gabe, you can tell the people. We did something on this story before I went on sabbatical, right? So we did something on it, right? Like maybe not in the ways that people would necessarily want it. Or you're like, why is this not a big story on like your opinion type shows? And the answer to that, I think, is very simple because Brett Favre ain't thrown a football in 12 years. Like he's not contemporary famous in that way. Also, we don't really know what to do with white collar type of crime. Like you remember that story that came out a few years ago about Eli Manning being involved in some fraud about a sign, like a game used football or something like that. We ain't really talk about that too much either. We just don't really know what to do with white collar crime. And we don't really think of white collar crime is really being that important. Case in point, 
I was watching a documentary the other day on HBO about the dude Craig Carton. That man got a morning show on FS1 and got an afternoon show on the radio, and they was all ready for him the second he got out of jail. Because when people start talking about being tough on crime, they really talk about being tough on brown. They ain't talking about white-collar crime, and they really ain't talking about white people. That's not how it goes. But in our context, I don't think we really had that much and knew what to do with Brett Favre, number one. Number two, I make an argument. I don't know what a scandal is anymore. Like, when you go back and look at what the big scandals were of, like, 70s, 80s, 60s, or whatever it is, man, these kids today would laugh at that stuff. We got so much that swirls around us all the time that what's going on with Brett Favre, like, barely measures in people's minds as a scandal. It just doesn't go in that way. We got so much going on that it's kind of hard to get to the bottom of it like that. But, for a moment, I'm going to skip over the fact that, gay, we're of a different age, range, and generation. You go back and watch The Million Dollar Man, and I just want to know who it was that stopped and said to themselves, yeah, The Million Dollar Man, he's going to do something for poor people. His entire character is the opposite, the top to bottom. They're like, yeah, get the money to Ted DiBiase and his kids. What, 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 what are you talking about? Now, this is what's going to get Brett Favre in trouble, though. I can't remember um, if the woman who did this, who, uh, we had to talk about the story, mentioned this, because when we sent it out, this hadn't come out. But Favre was found to have taken money that he raised for cancer patients and tried to put that money on stuff for Southern Miss Volleyball for his daughter. Never mind the fact that Brett Favre is rich, okay? And he's taking all this money from all these other people to, to like be his booster, be the booster. But you can get away from stealing from poor people. You can get away with stealing from black people. You can get away with stealing from poor black people. Stealing from cancer patients? Oh, no, 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 no. They not going to let that one slide, dog. You better be ready for that. The only thing worse than that would have been if you were stealing from dogs. They'd have shut this whole thing down if you was out here stealing from some dogs. So, yeah, you can get away with it. Like, oh, yeah, these poor black people. Who cares about that? Ha, ha, ha. Da, da, da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got something there. But once people find out that he took money that was meant to go for cancer, and was using that to go to volleyball? Oh, now you about to have a problem. Last thing, nothing more hilarious. Brett Favre doing state business and texting with these people. I mean, you know, and you can go get somebody's state phone at any point, right? Because it belongs to the state. You out here texting with state people talking about, can the media find out if I did this? <laughs> yeah, we can. And we did. Our voicemails are brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Hey, this is Bomani. You have reached the right time voicemail. Say whatever you want. Get creative with it. But this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. So we're back. Oh, yeah. We missed y'all, by the way. We 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 did. I said it's the first one me and you have done like this in two and a half months. It seemed fitting that it would be why I quit football. <laughs> Our first one for why I quit football comes from Chase and Lawrence. Here it is. So I played in a high school in Western Kansas, and we were pretty much all bad except for one dude on our team who ended up going D one playing for the University of Memphis during the Paxton Lynch years, playing the offensive line. So he was our left tackle. So my sophomore year, I'm playing defensive end for our JV scout team. So we're running a scout team defense, 
and the tackle I'm lined up against pulls. So I do what I'm coached to do right, stay close to the line, stay on his hip, look for the tackle, looking for the running backs tackle him, and right before I do, here comes this big old 300-pound dude coming to hit me on a trap play. Me all 5'10", 180 pounds with pads on. This man hits me so hard, I did a backflip through the air. And once my lungs finally reinflated, I went to my coach and I asked him, what did I do wrong? And he says, nothing. He's just bigger than you. I was done there. Hung it up, focused in on debate, got a scholarship, won a national title. So it all worked out. <laughs> hey, man. All I'm saying is there's film of this, and I want to see it. Call the high school, get that film, send it to us. We ain't going to send it to nobody else. But I want to see it. The whole flip. Damn. I just don't like what's in your, what goes through your mind in the air. I got nothing, nothing at all. This next one comes from Greer in Atlanta. Hey, Bo. Hey, Gabe. This is Greer in Atlanta. Um, this is about my friend and why he quit football. Um, so he had played some in high school uh, at a small private school and he really wanted to keep going. So his freshman year at Georgia State, he walks onto the team. On the depth chart, he's like the eighth string running back, I think is what he said. Uh, so he's mostly just the practice squad, right? Um, they weren't very good, uh, but, you know, he got to dress for home games at the Dome and, uh, you know, keep doing what he liked doing, apparently, which was just practicing and getting hit. But during one practice, uh, this is like week 10 or something, the season's definitely half over at this point. Um he gets a concussion and the uh, team doctor tells him, Hey, you know, it's Thursday. Don't, don't work out on Friday. You need to take it easy. And he says, okay, great. So he listens to the doctor. He does not go to the Friday workout. And then they're playing the game Saturday. And then it gets to be like the third or fourth quarter. I think it's like the fourth quarter at this point. They're getting their doors blown off by someone like Air Force or something. Uh, again, this is not a good Georgia State team. And I remember my friend said he was just standing there watching the game with everyone else. His parents are up in the stands because they came to all the home games. And the head coach of the team looks over on the sideline and sees my friend standing there and stops what he's doing and storms over there and starts yelling at him about why he skipped Friday's workout and my friend was just sitting there thinking like how in the world are you focused on me right now and the guy's just yelling at him and the coach tells him to get off the field and so my friend just goes back to the locker room changes back into his street clothes finishes the game in the stands watching it with his parents uh and then Monday he came and cleaned out his locker and that was it for him <laughs> I love that I'm just going to wait till Monday and then I'm going to get my stuff and then I'm going to vamp disappear and look all it took for him was a game against Air Force correct me if I'm wrong but I think this might have been the first time at least in my tenure on the show there's been a why I quit football with someone who is like Yes, vicarious. 
Well, not just vicarious, but actually in college, playing on a college team like D1, D2, D3, whatever, left in the middle of the game, went up to the stands and watched the rest of the game with his parents. Usually when you quit, it's like, oh, I'm practice or, you know, I left this game and I went home or something like that. (laughs) yes that's a great point yeah nobody has gone and watched the rest of the game could he play an instrument like under those circumstances can you go and be like hey man pass me that horn you know what i'm saying and then you just describe and then you just play the horn maybe that's it damn whoo glad i made that decision much sooner dog much much sooner all right this last one the guy didn't leave his name or location but it's a good one to close this out. Here it is. What's up, Owen Gabe? I had a very short career in football, but with App State being back in the news, it seems timely. Uh, my senior year, our school team needed some depth at linebacker, so the coach poached me from wrestling. I didn't know anything what was going on. This is what Mike is. Here's Sam. Stand here. Watch him. Hit him. Okay. couple games. I'm, I'm okay. I'm not a liability, but this also happened to be Armani Edwards' senior year down out of South Carolina, and Lord knows they were on the schedule for us. I'll never forget he came off a bootleg and absolutely baptized me with a stiff arm. I was absolutely decapitated. Just one of those e-honda palm strikes to the face. My cap was detated. Next thing I remember, I'm on the bench with salt in the nose. My coach has a hand on my shoulder, and he says, and I quote, if you don't want to go back in, I understand. <laughs> I finished the game but never put the pads back on. That was that was it for me. Uh, bring it up because the butterfly effect, and this is all anecdotal, I have no proof of this, but I was told later that my hit, or I should say his hit on me, my low light, his highlight, was part of his recruiting tape to App State, and as you know, the history uh, a year later with them in Michigan. So you're welcome, America. My loss was y'all's gain. Uh, I would do it again. No hard feelings. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Like, yeah, he he made he made a mixtape off of you. Is basically what he's saying here. He made a mixtape off of you. Baptize. Whoo, can you be whoo whoo? The stiff arm, man. I've talked about this for a long time, man. The stiff arm is we don't really talk enough about the level of disrespect. Me and Roy Wood talked about this, and he tried to make the argument that the stiff arm was actually more disrespectful than getting dunked on. And I think it's more painful. The disrespect nah 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 stiff arm is kind of taken as this is just the cost of doing business it's a rarity to somebody getting dunked on with that that was an occasion yeah but hey ladies and gentlemen thanks so much for joining us here on the right time we are back to doing this here three times a week Gabe Bassane Helen everything behind the scenes thank you sir also thank you to our if you haven't heard contributors thanks to Rachel Treisman of NPR check out her story on Twitter testing an edit button thanks to Daniel Victor of the New York Times check out his story on the FDA warning about putting NyQuil on your chicken and thanks to Anna Wolf of Mississippi today for her story about Brett Favre and his shenanigans down there with other people's money uh remember follow the right time rate us review us give us five stars you only give us four stars i'm inclined to believe you are a hater and we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days take it easy thanks for checking out the right time with bomani jones podcast you can listen or follow on the espn app or wherever you listen to podcasts the right time with bomani jones